Listen, Randy. Yeah. I just remember. I used to know three guys, just like you and your friends. Come on. No shit. There weren't any difference. And that was Brother Rabbit. As smart as you are, he was. And as mean as you is, he is. And Brother Bear, as big as he was, that's how strong he was. Preacher Fox, as wild as he was, that's how wild he was. Oh, stick it, fuck it, do it, swing it. Episode, episode number one of the Cinepod movie cast. Uh, my name is Chuck Conyers. And I am Jose Joel Zoloeta. Pleasure to be here. Hey, this is exciting. Uh, this is something that I know I've wanted to do for yes. a while, but, um, uh, you know, I, I've tried podcasting. I don't know if you've ever tried this, Joel. I've tried, no, no. I've tried podcasting once. And um, I tried to do a political podcast, but it was just me by myself, just talking oh, into wow. a mic. Because I figured, you know, like Rush Limbaugh and Shine, like all those clowns do that. They just are by themselves, <laughs> bloviating into a stupid mic. And I was like, well, I, I could do that. And yeah. eh, I was bored by listening to myself talk politics. <laughs> Yeah, by myself. Yeah. It just—it's just not. It just wasn't fun. But I think this will be a this will be a good time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You have to have someone to bounce ideas off of. You know. That's um, exactly right. I was thinking, I don't think there's much of a market for a one man podcast. Do you need to have at least two people to make it? You know, two yeah. to tango, as they say. Yeah, that's true. Or at least have guests yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guests. You know, it's like sometime in the future, maybe we could get guest people or we could do prank calls on famous movie directors <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah yeah Zack Snyder oh, I owe him a few prank phone calls <laughs> and Terry Gilliam Mark. Terry Gilliam we're gonna have we have to have a, a Terry Gilliam talk at one point absolutely um, I would like Terry. to do a career retrospective type thing maybe a two-parter where yes. like the first part at part one episode, we go to his meteoric rise to this like awesome, brilliant creative director. Yes. And then part two will just be, what the fuck was Tideland? What was that? What was that? We're not gonna. We'll get to that later. This um, yes. we're gonna focus right now on. Um, this was um, when when um, Jose and I first started talking about this podcast. Uh, first of all. Um, Jose and I, we went to uh, college together. Yes. Um, we were in uh, film school together. Did we have, did we have um, audio one or film production one uh, Let's see. You know something? I don't think we ever had the same classes together. Oh, we right? act, oh we yeah, actually, you, were, uh, you were ahead of me, weren't you? I'm sorry? Uh, no, no, no. You were, you were actually ahead of me. I was oh. like one year behind you. Oh. Uh, yeah, you are. It's like I was taking Jane's class yes. and then uh, and by that time you were taking uh, marcus's class in uh, film and uh, uh yes. i think marcus, you were taking audio as well that's right marcus eisenstein and, um who passed away recently oh uh, the, the late of marcus yes the late marcus eisenstein who was uh, one of those guys he was an old guy he was he was ancient when we were uh, in school yeah. but he just kind of <laughs> like saunters into the classroom He's like, All right, listen. He was a character, man. Some of you are gonna, some of you are gonna do all right, but most of you are gonna go home. You most of you are never gonna make it in this industry. You're never gonna make it at all. So here we go. <laughs> that was the first thing that came out of that man's mouth, and I love him. I I will always love him. But um, but yes. So yes, we had a mutual yeah. friend. That's right. Yeah. I, and I'll say it was my girlfriend at the time. Right, yeah. that that was our mutual friend. Um, yes, yes, I, I remember that. And then um, I um, got to know you, and um, I remember um, I told Ho I told Jose that I was going to tell him uh, 
two uh, recollections from okay. uh, from the past uh, that are relevant to this conversation in this podcast. And the first one is, I remember yes. um, visiting you on the set. You were I was working in the uh, the bookstore, the student bookstore at the time. <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, this is a yeah. yeah. He has no I'll idea. Let, was, I'll let you say this one. He has no idea that I brought I'm bringing this up. I'll I'll how about I'll take it to a certain point and then I want you to take over. Sure, uh, sure. So, um, yeah, I was working in the student store at the time. I, you got permission to shoot a film in that store. Yeah. And um, I had nothing, I don't think I had anything to do with it. I wasn't in it or anything. Or was I in it? Did you ask me to be in it? I don't uh, you take over. No, me. actually, it was uh, it was pure luck that you had uh, happened to wander in uh, because the shoot was falling apart, really. <laughs> No one was cooperating with me. The actors were bored. There wasn't enough lighting. Uh, it's like even though there, it's like we had like a like a few lights there, uh, there, there, there just wasn't any lighting to uh, to properly shoot the movie. Yeah. So I was all ready to quit. I swear, <laughs> everyone was there. They're all looking at me. It was like high pressure. I couldn't take it. And then you came by, and you managed to save the shoot, you know, and and you became my cameraman. I forgot what happened to the original cameraman. Is that right? And was I, did I shoot that? Yes, you did. Oh my you god! Held, you held the camera. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't remember <laughs> yeah, that. you did. Oh my god! And you know, I as I have the video somewhere. No, results, you still you know? have it. It, it. it just came out beautifully. It's an, it was awesome. You, it was such a good idea. That was the thing. It was um, I, I, the, the the plot of the film was. And it oh is my so, god! It is actually extremely relevant as you'll as see where I'm going with with, oh, the, I see. with yes, the film. Yes. It was a story about how um this um white guy's at a register. And this black guy is um, coming up. He's a customer, and the guy is accusing the the, the guy, white guy behind the register is accusing the black guy of stealing something, and they're they're having this argument back and forth. Like I didn't steal. What the hell are you talking about? I was like, no, seriously, you people. He's like, you people. What do you mean, you people? And, like, <laughs> and while this back and forth is going on, all these other white kids in the store are stealing shit and leaving the store. Yeah. While they're oh having this God. conversation, and the guy, the guy at the register finally says, "All right, I'd need to see inside your bag." And, <laughs> and the guy's like, "I, this is such bullshit." He's like, "Here, take the bag." The white guy opens the bag. It's a Bible. <laughs> and he looks in the bag. Okay. There's nothing else in the bag. And he's like, "Okay, well, sorry about that." Yeah, and it was just like it, told, <laughs> it was so real. Like the, it was the. the Thing was great. It was um. I can't remember the. Oh the, my god! I can't remember that is like, I uh, I believe the actors were uh, Sean Oliver. Remember Sean? Oh my. God. Yeah, actor Sean. Yeah, he's uh. I mean, he's done a lot of acting jobs. So uh, it, it's it's good that I had him and also another guy from my acting class. Um, gosh, his name is uh something Nance. His last name is Nance. Uh, wow. I, I forget. But he's a really good actor, too. So it's good that I had uh, two actors of that caliber. But, uh, yeah, to give this uh, a little context, this was the summer. I mean, well, this was like the year uh, the year of, uh, what was that, the, uh, the race riots? Oh, my God, the, Rodney uh, King. Yeah, yes, Rodney oh King. Oh, my God. Right, right, after, right after they had the riots in L.A., so that was kind of in the consciousness of a lot of people. Wow. So I thought I'd make a film about that. But but yeah, you, you know something? It's like now that you did bring it up, like Coonskin mm. also had like uh, moments like that where the black guy is automatically assumed to be the guilty party. Yep. They handled it in a really funny way too. Yeah. Funny and shocking, but... Uh, are, am I getting ahead of myself here? A little, a little bit, but that's okay because it is relevant to the conversation that we're having, and um, okay. and that's another reason why um, this podcast was a good idea because uh, Jose is my like my movie buddy. He's been my movie buddy for years. We used to go. We've yes. seen tons of shit in the theater together, 
and yeah, then we, going to a bar afterwards and talking about it and getting drunk. I, saying, uh, I Charles, I, I remembered we were watching Bamboozles over yes. at uh, Newport Mall. Oh my God, that movie! That that also deserves a podcast. Yes. <laughs> you did not agree with me whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly with that one bit at the end. We'll talk about we'll definitely <laughs> oh, we'll talk God. about that. You I know you hated that. I was like, that was the most brilliant part of the movie. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I uh, I thought I kinda thought Spike was a little heavy handed right there, but, um, <laughs> but you see you seem to think that was brilliant, so We'll have to agree to disagree. That's, we'll talk about we'll that. We'll talk about that. Fair enough. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> um, but that did kind of like, that's when I had the idea of like, you know, this this deserves a podcast. Because I think we always had such really uh, fun and insightful conversations. I know I learned a lot from listening to you. And How's just, that? It's the same here, pal. Thanks, man. So yeah. this was clearly to me a good idea. And um, we kind of had a back and forth, a little bit of a back and forth about uh, what to do uh, first. And then I just thought of Coonskin and he hadn't seen yeah. it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> we're doing that first. Because yeah. it, it is, I think, um, in, uh, you know, when you look at the, the times that we're living in right now, it, you know, it's it's remarkably relevant. I mean, this movie is what forty years old or more. Uh, forty-two. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah. And um, it is. It's funny. Um, there are a lot of people that that say you know when they talk about um like political correctness in movies and stuff, you know, people bring up Blazing Saddles. And they, <laughs> you know, and they say, oh, you know, oh that movie could never be made today. I dare uh, anybody to try to remake Coonskin or make anything like it. I dare you. It's yeah. This this movie is a uh, this movie is is quite something. And um, to mm-hmm. know it is to know its creator, um, fellow by the name of Ralph Bakshi. For mm-hmm. those of you who don't know Ralph Bakshi, um, um, Jose, what which, uh, what is the the first thing that you think of when you think of Ralph? Uh, okay, well. Uh, as a kid, I grew up watching the Spider-Man cartoons from the '60s, and every time, uh, it's like every time the the end credits roll by, I see I see this guy named Ralph Bakshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not, he didn't do the first season of the original Spider-Man uh, series. He did the second and third ones, which I distinctly remember were really weird, <laughs> because because uh, Spider-Man would be swinging across the city in these uh, photographic backgrounds. Yeah. Which he, which he would later use that technique to uh, to a surreal effect in Coonskin and I believe heavy uh, heavy, heavy traffic heavy traffic uh, throughout his yeah life. for those of you who don't know what um, Jose is talking about by the original Sp- Spider Man uh, this might ring a bell this is the Spider Man that Ralph actually worked on. <laughs> It has one of Cashew's songs, yeah. songs ever. Yep, and uh, here comes the Spider-Man. <laughs> like, is he strong? Yeah. Listen, Bob, he's got radioactive yeah. blood. It's that's outstanding. It's very sixties. Um, yeah. But yes, that's right. He started. Um, that that was um one of his first, and um yeah, New Adventures of Mighty yeah. Mouse. And even before that, the Mighty Heroes, which I'm surprised no one has tried to remake uh... yet. I've heard of that. Yeah, the mighty... I have to see that. That must be on YouTube. Oh yeah, absolutely. The Mighty Heroes was kind of his response to the superhero craze because like it was like all Saturday morning cartoons were just like, you know, inundated with superheroes and all this crap and well that crap is good stuff. We all loved it. But that's his his <laughs> point of view was just like, look at all this this silly crap. So he wanted to make an anti-superhero superhero show. So that's right. how the Mighty Heroes uh, came about. Um, uh, but with Coonskin, um, Coonskin is kind of like a very personal film for him. Um, not as much as a Heavy Traffic would be, because that's more autobiographical. Um, heavy Traffic, he was um, actually in uh, production. He was in the middle of production or towards the end of production on Heavy Traffic. 
um, mm-hmm. and had he had uh, by then uh, made Fritz the Cat, which is considered the first X-rated cartoon. So he yeah. kind of had some fire at this moment. He ends up meeting, like a fortuitous meeting, with um, Albert Ruddy, who produced The Godfather. They, uh, he had just uh. won the Oscar for The Godfather, and um, they ended up meeting up in a hotel lobby and striking up a conversation. And um, Ruddy asks him, um, you know, what are you working on next? And Ralph Bakshi says, Uncle Remus. And <laughs> after that, they... Oh, my God. Now, mind you, he, he was still working on heavy traffic. He hadn't written a word of this thing. He hadn't drawn anything. He, had, he did not know anything else that he was going to do except that he wanted to do uh, an anti-Disney version, a fuck you Disney version to Song of the South. Nice. And um, Al Ruddy said, I love it. Shook hands. <laughs> he went to Paramount and said, um, we're going to release this, we're going to make this film, I want to make this film with Ralph Bakshi called, what was it called again? Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights, that's right. Um, Wasn't that the Eddie Murphy movie? Yeah, I was just going to mention that. That was later on used for the Eddie Murphy movie. That's right. It was Richard Pryor. That's absolutely right. And um, so they sold it to to Paramount, and they went and made this movie. Now, um, which is something. um, Yeah, he did want to do... He want, he wanted to do this anti song of the South, so you know, there is, you know, a brother rabbit, there's a brother bear, and there's a brother fox in this movie. The big star that he got at the time was Scatman Carruthers, who serves as the Scatman Carruthers is pretty much the Uncle Remus of this movie. Okay. And uh Jose's gonna be so uncomfortable. Because you're not the only one, because when this movie, um, by the time this movie came out, now, Paramount loved it. They loved this movie. but They, they th- did? Yes, they did. Okay. But they wow. thought the name Harlem Nights didn't really do it justice. They thought, you know, for a movie like this, we need something a lot sharper and a lot more incendiary. So that's, wow. when, so that's when they came up with... Coonskin. Coonskin No More. Coonskin No More, which is the... Uh... The opening song. Yes. Well, no, that's not the. We'll get. We'll get to the opening song. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, but uh, Coonskin No More, they liked, but they thought it was too long, so they just took No More off and called it Coonskin. It was going to have its first premiere at the Museum of Modern Art. There was one organization called the Congress for Racial Equality, otherwise known as CORE, at the time it was led by Al Sharpton. And um, at the premiere, he and his people stormed the stage and (laughs) said, this movie is disgusting. You can't place this the most racist thing I have ever seen. And um, they launched this from that moment. And they ended up, I think they did did end up playing the movie. But from Mm -hmm. that moment on, that organization, the Congress for Racial Equality, was smacking up Paramount Pictures so badly, even though mm-hmm. the NAACP supported it. Um, mm-hmm. They said it was an important satirical film. You know, you know yeah, they, they got it. There were a lot of org- there were organizations out there that defended it, but because Core was so hardcore <laughs> about their um, <laughs> their their hatred for this film and what they thought it represented, Paramount pulled the plug. Did not release oh. the film. Uh, that's interesting. That kind of reminds me of the backlash against uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. So many Christian groups were against the movie without having ever seen a, a, like a frame of the movie. That's right. For me, I um, I was in high school. Uh, maybe I was a junior or senior in high school. I had a job at a video store. That was like one of my. That was like my second or third job that I had in my life. And I remember look just get, getting to know the layout of the store. The store was called Video Eden. It was named it was owned by a guy named Adam. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember just kind of like walking around the store to get a layout. And it was one of those, I mean you know, this is the 80s, so you know everything's VHS. Uh-huh. 
Um, they had a little back room where they kept all the porn and stuff, and you didn't have to bring up right. the box. Like you had to, you, had, you looked and saw a box that you wanted, a movie that you wanted, took the box yeah. up, and then we gave you the tape, and then you went off on your merry way. With the porn movies, that was like a little tag that you brought up because uh, they didn't want. I mean, because you know the boxes were just screenshots from the from the movies, so. <laughs> <laughs> not something that you. Want to prominently display while you know parents are trying to find a Disney movie for their kid. <laughs> so, so I was getting to Brilliant. know the getting to know the the movies in the store, and oh. I see this movie called Street Fight, and at the bottom it says "This ain't Song of the South," <laughs> and um, on the cover was remember those Looney Tunes, those uh, that circular background for Looney yeah. Tunes. Yes, I've got the picture in front of me, actually. Yes, there you go. So yeah. it, it had that kind of Looney Tunes look, but then it had the picture of the rabbit, the bear, and the fox on it. And they look like, uh, like it would look like Shaft. It would yes. look like, like, like a blaxploitation yes. film. Right. And it's also said on the box, warning, this movie offends everyone. <laughs> so, of course, I had to rent it. Now, <laughs> of course. by that time... I knew Ralph Bakshi from Fire and Ice and American Pop. Uh, so I knew who Ralph Bakshi was. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. I want to see what, to see what this is. And that movie, this movie has been with me ever since. And, um, and now I, I got to pass it on to you. Yes. And I have been dying, absolutely dying to know what your thoughts are <laughs> <laughs> on Ralph Bakshi's uh, coonskin. So, sir... The floor is yours. Burden me. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's really nothing quite like it. <laughs> well, no, that, that's not quite true. Um, it's a, uh, I, it's kind of an assault on the senses, really. It's like, uh, uh, I, I guess like the same reaction I have to, uh, like to reading a, uh, a Robert Crumb cartoon. Yeah. With all the uh, exaggerations there, you know, it's mm -hmm. like after a while, you sort of become, well, you sort of become, uh, get, uh, shall I say, get used to it. Yeah. And, uh, and you get the sense there that he's trying to, uh, that he's, he's using those uh, offensive imagery and repurposing it for his own, you know, for his own means. And it's, it's a satire on a satire, really. You're speechless. You're speechless. I'm speechless. Yes, 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 absolutely. I'm speechless. I think, uh, Do you remember hmm. the first line in this movie? The first line? Mm. Oh, gosh. It, it's what the... Not, not, what not, was the, it? not the story, but the line. Just two words. Open the movie. What, what was it? Fuck yes. you. Oh, yes. That's how the movie starts. And then they, um, there's this, um, a character comes, jumps onto the screen and um, tells the audience a statistic. Oh, yes. And, and uh, he, go ahead, go yeah. ahead. And he kind of made a joke about it, like at the end, right? Yeah, should, the, we, uh... should we just play that part? Yeah, please. Okay. Please do. Okay, so um, I was not going to play it originally. I was going to kind of save that for people who maybe wanted to see it. Um, oh. But that's the and that's another thing um, for those who are listening, and that goes for um, any other um, movies that we talk about from this point forward. We're going to spoil the living shit out of this thing. So if you, absolutely if you haven't seen it. You owe it to yourself to get it. It's um, yeah. it was just re-released, I think, last year or two years ago. Um, it uh -huh. had an anniversary, so yeah. um, it's there are you can find it on Blu-ray. You can find a nice, cream, pristine copy of it. It's beautiful in HD. Um, that it, it was like seeing it for the first time. It's, wow, um, it's really, really um, nice looking. Okay. okay, so all right, here we go. Um, Yes. I'll play the opening and I'll play a little yeah. bit of the song. Oh, okay. Because there is a yeah. song that opens the movie as well. 
I will. T- I'll. I'll. I'm gonna su- leave it as a surprise for the audience. I'll. I'll tell you the name <laughs> of the song when we come back. Okay. So here is yeah. the opening, maybe 20, 30 seconds, twenty seconds or so. We don't have to be silent while we're listening to it. We can oh, okay. comment on it. Um, but this is this is the opening of Coonskin. Ralph Bakshi film. Yes. Fuck you. All right, now I'm going to give you a little example. I heard that 350 of you white folks committed suicide by jumping off of the Golden Gate Bridge. And out of the 350, that was only two that was niggers. And one of them was pushed. <laughs> this is Scatman Carruthers singing uh, yeah. the opening song. shot of his face like a profile shot of his face on yeah, the far nice. left side of the screen and on the far right side of the screen they're playing the credits yeah. now you know what this song reminds me of um a contemporary version of a ballad of oj have you heard that song uh never never heard of that uh the ballad of oj is um a jay-z song um, it's off of his new album and lyrically it's almost the same exact song you know how Scatman Carruthers um, through this song hold on a minute I have the lyrics uh, right here hold on okay now the song the name of the song that he's singing is called I'm a nigger man written by guess who I was written by uh, I'm gonna take a guess Ralph Bakshi absolutely right <laughs> um, now, for those of you who don't know who Ralph Bakshi is, we've been talking about him a little bit. Ralph Bakshi is a Jewish fellow. Um, his mother was Jewish, I believe. His father was Italian. Um, mm. They. Um, it, 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 what's interesting about how he came to even make this film in the first place was that it this colored this was colored by his childhood. Um, he grew up basically all of his friends were black um he um he has an interesting quote about it um where he says um he was born in washington dc um i think and no i think he moved end up moving to washington dc in the spring of 1947 with his mm-hmm. family and he moved to a place called foggy bottom there's a neighborhood called foggy bottom is a predominantly black neighborhood and this is what he said about living here. All my friends were black. Everyone we did business with was black. His parents owned a, like a little general store. The school across mm-hmm. the street was black. It was segregated, so everything was black. So basically, the world that he lived in, he lived in a segregated America. So they relegated all the black people to this place called Foggy Bottom. Like, all oh, you niggas move there. So that's where they all lived. So he goes on to say... I went to see black movies. Black girls sat on my lap. I went to black parties. I was another black kid on the block. No problem. That was that was how he grew up. So he, because this was a segregated time, he um, was forced to go to this school that was miles away. Even though, like, right across the street from his parents' house and his store and everything, he had to go to another school because uh, like the, the the white school that was several miles away because of segregation and um, he didn't want to do that because he didn't know anybody there and he didn't like anybody there so he asked his mother if he could go if, you know the next fall if he could go to the school that was right across the street from them the black school mm-hmm. and his mother said yeah that's fine they're all your friends that's fine <laughs> it did not go well um, because everybody, I mean, the, the black kids were just like, this is great. Like, his friends were like, this is great. But all right. the white people, like, the, the, you know, some of the teachers, stuff like that, they were not thrilled. And um, um, they, they um, it got to the point where they had to literally drag him kicking and screaming out of that school. They did not want him going wow. to the black school because he was a white kid. Mm-hmm. And he, that never, he never forgot that. He never forgot that. Um he even says at one point, um, 
Because one of the things that I think, I mean, you touched on it perfectly when you talked about how it was a satire. Um, one of the things he says with regards to some of the stereotypes that maybe people have and issues and stuff, he says, when it comes to understanding the black dialogue, black humor, I was living with it. I was there. Mm-hmm. It was part of my life. It's always been a part of my life. Mm. So the, that was the incident that in his life that kind of informed uh, what this film ultimately is. So basically what happens in the story is um, the movie stars, um, like we said, Scatman Carruthers, is, right. um, who was a huge star back in the day. Remember he was on that... Um, the um fan not fancy on it. There was a Gilligan's Island movie where they turned huh. it, it they became a resort. Oh boy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you're bringing back memories here. <laughs> I may have seen that like just once. Yeah, me yeah. too. And the Harlem Globetrotters, I guess, were shipwrecked on that on the island. The Harlem Globetrotters go to Gilligan's Island. Oh, right? that's what it was. Yes. And yes. Scatman Carruthers was the coach. And um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Was it, if I could uh, just interject something here, yeah, Charles. Sure, I, see, I know him primarily through The Shining. There you go. There you go. Uh, oh my God! It's like even though he had like a fairly small role there, he was he was memorable. Yes, he was fantastic. The uh, rapport he had with uh, with Danny, mm-hmm. and and I love that little touch that uh, Kubrick made with the uh, with the uh, velvet painting above the uh, the TV. I don't remember that. When, Oh my God! All right. Well, go ahead. Go this ahead. is, yeah. This, this is when uh, uh, the uh, Mister Mister Halloran, I think his name is, uh-huh. in uh, The Shining. He was back in Florida. He was watching the uh, he was watching the news reports on uh, what the weather was like in uh, in that area okay. of the Overlook Hotel, and then like uh, as the camera pans out, I mean as the camera zooms out, you see this like a uh, this velvet painting of a, it's like a black woman on top of the TV. It's, it's really, uh, it's really a cool bit. Uh, I liked it. Well, yeah, kind of revealed a little bit of his character here. Well, but, um, yeah, I've known Jose for years, so I know this about him. Uh, he is a, a <laughs> huge Stanley Kubrick fan. Yeah, he loves Stanley. So we'll do, we'll definitely do Stanley Kubrick stuff. Scatman Carruthers basically plays the narrator character. He's the uh, Uncle Remus of this of this song of the South. Um, uh, also starring in the film is Barry White. Barry White. Yes, the famous singer Barry White. Um, he, go ahead. He had such a distinctive voice in this movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Ain't that a bitch? Ain't that a bitch? <clears throat> um, yeah. <laughs> now it it stars uh, Barry White as um, he plays uh, Brother Bear. He's he voices Brother Bear in the film. Um, yes. Also, um, Philip Michael Thomas, who yes, goes by I... Philip Thomas in this film. Yes, very pre Miami Vice. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And um, Charles Gordon, who um, was a famous uh, poet and activist at the time, he plays uh, the fox. And uh, uh, Philip Michael Thomas plays the rabbit. Oh yeah. Um, so now the um, the film, as you remember, the the plot of the story is that um, Scatman Carruthers' character and uh, Philip Michael Thomas's character escape from prison. They break out of their cell and they're hiding outside the walls of the prison. Um, mm-hmm. They're hiding against the wall because they're waiting to be broken out by. Um, Charles Gordon and um, and uh, Barry White. Uh, Charles Gordon. Now, the, also to say in the in this film, we can talk about this too. Uh, the aesthetic of the film, it's yeah. um, all over the place. Multimedia. It's um, I love it. Live action and animation, much in the same way the Song of the South was, but yeah. also staying true to um, the aesthetic that uh, Bakshi developed over the years as uh, you know ironically as a way to save money (laughs) (laughs) Um, he made it work for him absolutely and uh, another one of his things is like you know cartoons animation wasn't taken seriously back then you know even in the age of walt disney 
um, everything. Basically, Disney set the bar, and no one basically lived up to that, and everything was perceived as if it wasn't Disney, then it was, tr no, who cares? It's trash. So that's really mm -hmm. what he was fighting against as well. So that was another mm -hmm. reason why he wanted to mix mediums a little bit, apparently, uh, because... Yeah he wanted to um so, so there is just as much no th there's more animation for sure but there are yeah. scenes like long scenes of or full scenes of uh live action in this right, film as right. well yeah I, you know uh just 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 to uh put this in here for a little bit mm. i i noticed that the animation is very disney-like mm. and it's very uh, the effect is surreal you know yeah. it's like uh it's like something out of a song to sell but um <laughs> but with a lot more cursing and a lot more uh sex racial slurs and sex yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of brilliant sex. stuff and it, much in the way of song the song of this the whole idea of uncle remus like basically it's uh it's a collection of stories mm -hmm. you know so uncle remus is a storyteller and he's telling you know and and the prominent players in all of his stories are uh, the rabbit, the fox, and the bear. Um, much in the way that Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, you know, has the friendly narrator that tells you about Pooh and his adventures in the Hundred Acre Wood. <laughs> you know, there's that, but then every episode or every time, there's a different story that, oh, rabbit, what has rabbit done? And, oh, bother Pooh, you know, like, all that stuff. Every There are a bunch of different stories about how Pooh gets stuck in the hole or how, you know, Piglet and uh, Rue are doing something, you know. So this mm -hmm. movie is told the same way. There are vignettes um, that basically lead or tell the whole story, you know. Um, one of the uh, plot lines in this film is that um, the um, rabbit, the bear, and the fox own a whorehouse. And yes. um, they have a little run-in with the sheriff, and um, his daughter, who is one of the prostitutes in the whorehouse. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, they have to split. They kill the sheriff and the deputy. They have to split. They leave town. They leave the South. And they're like, right. you know, well, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? So they decide that, yeah, they've always heard about Harlem. You know, mm -hmm. the, the magic and the mystique. And it's awesome. They have a... There's a shot, there's a live action shot of a guy playing a saxophone on a, um, he's playing a trumpet on a Harlem street, like a jazz man playing a trumpet on a Harlem street, and it, it zooms in on him, like, slowly. It's really awesome, kind of, like, giving mm. this this poetic kind of, like, uh, vision of what Harlem is going to be for black people. And right. by the time they get there, they realize, oh, it's no different than where we came from. <laughs> but maybe we can run a good hustle here. And yes. thus begins a, a crazy story through the streets of New York, um, yeah. through various stories and characters and things like that. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's like, I love that they, uh, I, see, I believe Bakshi himself was one that took pictures of uh, street life in New York. Yeah. It was sort of, sort of like a time capsule. Mm. Um, 70s New York was a hell of a lot dirtier than... New York of these days, That's right. you know, oh boy, and it added a lot of grit and realism to the story. Yeah. So, I thought the mixed medium really uh, works in this in in it to its advantage. Now, this kind of leads to the second story that I wanted to tell of you and how it relates okay. to the. Do you remember the political cartoon that you drew? political cartoon yes. oh boy uh, this was in while we were in school there uh -huh. was I don't remember the particulars but there was something going on with the the student um, administration oh. and the um, the dean I think yes. at the time I think it, I, I believe uh, I was part of the honors group yes and uh, and they were going to cut off funding by a lot and I believe i drew an unflattering <laughs> an unflattering picture of the dean <laughs> literally More... screwing an yes. honor kid yes putting the screw to an honor kid it because was they had to cut the funding yeah it was an oh honors, my god it was an honors kid bent over 
with this large screw lodged in his ass, <laughs> and the dean behind him with a screwdriver, fucking screwing it. And they they blew because I worked for the newspaper too. I worked for the school newspaper at the time. Ah. And that they blew that up. That was a full page in the students. <laughs> Do you remember what happened with that? Do you remember what happened after that? Yes, actually. Um... I do remember there was like a um, the dean actually had mentioned that cartoon <laughs> afterwards. I bet. <laughs> and I, 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 he kind of chuckled over it and he said, "Well, you know, I, said, I don't believe I'm screwing anyone," <laughs> or words to that effect. But uh, yeah, he's like he did read it. So, so <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure if it changed his policies <laughs> or whatever because we, the uh, the program was still cut but um, yeah. it was it was good drawing that no thank you for remembering yeah, that. mr Zulawana, <laughs> in addition to his um wealth of movie knowledge is a fucking amazing illustrator it, ah, it's it's a it is a sin that you don't do it for a living you should you oh, really should well thanks you know i should i should really should get into that political cartooning again because of uh the current political climate now the reason uh, yeah. but you're quite the artist too charles i've seen your sketchbook yeah you're creative as hell no the, the yeah i will thank you for that um but um yeah i'm i'm a little too yeah my mother would also agree with you and and condemn me at the same time <laughs> it's a sin yeah uh, <laughs> but anyway <laughs> um so the reason why i bring up political cartooning is that this movie kind of reminds me of an animated political cartoon and one of the icons or images that they use is the Miss America icon yes oh my goodness this is the big breasted um, blonde lady um, white lady with the red white and blue bodysuit who represents America and there Mm -hmm. are little vignettes throughout this entire film with this Miss America character fucking with the, the black man, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there are a couple of vignettes. There's one, speaking of the I'm a nigga man uh, uh, song, they, mm-hmm. they reprise that later on in the movie um, mm-hmm. with Scatman Carruthers giving a voice to the guy. And um, he's tap dancing... And uh, singing along with the song, he's dressed like a like a poor uh, minstrel. I'm going to play just the last part of it. Now he is okay. um, he is tap dancing. He's performing this. It's it's dark outside. He's got one of the Ralph Bakshi's one of those like uh, filmed photographic. Looks like a, the the moon is really dark and oppressive, except for the moon shining through the clouds. There's a lamppost that Miss America is leaning up against. She's holding, uh, kind of like at her side, like a like a, an acoustic guitar, like she's a folk singer. Uh-huh. And this kind of black minstrel caricature, um, dressed in a minstrel like zoot suit, is uh-huh. performing the um, the poem or the song without music, but doing it uh, just with voice. And this is just the last part of it. Nice. If I stop dancing and don't let you blow me any more in the wind, cause I refuse to come. Help! Rape! Rape! Now Hangman's noose comes along and hangs the guy. (laughs) And she's laughing about it. Yes. Now that is, again, she's a character that pops up throughout this entire film as kind of like the voice of white America um, how they prop up the the white woman as like this crown jewel and use that white woman as a vehicle to control and oppress the black man mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's another there's like I think her last appearance or one of her last appearances in the film is one of the most visually striking. Um, that's the thing. I love like the, the collages that he does where like all this crazy stuff is going on. Mm. Um, one of them is there's this scene where um, it's towards the end of the movie 
And the thing about the rabbit is the rabbit knows more about what's going on. You know who he reminds me of? Remember good, um, Miller's Crossing? Miller's Crossing. Now, okay. Um, the char- character? Um, Tommy, the, the lead character, played by Gabriel okay. Byrne. Oh, yes. Now, yeah. all, uh, he's going through all this stuff, and you're kind of going along with him, like, oh, no, what is he doing? Why he's, oh, God, he keeps falling over his ass and everything. By the time he gets to the end of the movie, you realize <laughs> he knew, he planned all this. Yeah. Every single thing right. that happened, he knew exactly what was going on. Right. Same thing with the rabbit. The rabbit mm-hmm. knows from the moment they get to Harlem to the time that the big score is made. Because even the bear says, man, you knew you knew all along what was going on, didn't you? You knew this all along. Right, he right. Did. So now this is a scene where um, Miss America thinks she has it over the rabbit. She's uh, quite the kind of like, not, like she's more of an existential foil. Like she's not, she's not like a real character in the sense that you know, yeah. It's all this movie is like just like symbolism all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And it was great. Uh, she had. It's like I, I love this one scene where she was like on a park bench. She had her legs open, and then he uh, he motions one of the characters to get, to come closer. Yeah. <laughs> As I certainly hope our uh, our listeners have seen this movie, but it, but it is such a great gag. Well, they, oh well, shoot, man, she's got to clap. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I forgot about that line. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, she spreads her legs, and it's a gun, like a, a shotgun between her legs, and she shoots yeah. the guy in the face. And yeah, he goes, oh, she done got to clap. Yeah, um, but this is. Um, I mean, we're just touching. There is a lot to see in this film. There's the the preacher, the the um, not even preacher Fox. I'm talking about the big televangelist preacher, who's well, oh the, my goodness, trying to get all the black folk to give him all his money because the preacher's black, and uh, like fat naked dude, and um, he's dancing around and um, like do, at a revival, and everybody, hallelujah, hallelujah, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, these big black. Uh, Big black muscular dudes with afros are walking around yeah. with um, with uh, baskets and collecting all the money as they throw all the money. The the congregation is all live action. They they shot that all in on film, uh-huh. and they're all worshiping and praising this animated preacher walking around a a lower place. And one of the the funny thing about that, or the irony is, while he's backstage after the show, kind of chilling out, you find out that he's not the boss. The white man is. Is is the white man's back there while he's there counting all of his money. Mm. And he said, "What was his line?" He's like, "The trouble with you blacks is that you don't know how to uh, keep it down when you have a good thing going." <laughs> you know, it's it it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, yeah. what did you what did you think? How about the cop, the the corrupt cop? What did you think of that storyline? The corrupt cop. He, oh. Uh... He was the one that would um, shake down all the black businesses uh, for money. But uh, when he goes to start shaking people down, he's finding out the rabbit is taking his cut. Actually, the one character that really stood out in my mind is the Godfather character. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, I'm telling you, it's like... You said the videotape box says that this movie has something to offend everyone. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not just blacks. Nope. It's also Italians. Also homosexuals. Yep. Um, what other groups are there? Yeah, well, they, they go but, after everybody. 
That's the truth. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, it's interesting <laughs> because um, one of the things that he said about the the style of the movie, which was something that was criticized a lot, was that he wanted to basically take white people's caricatures of black people. He wanted yes. to take that and use that against white people. And yeah. he also uses that same style on everyone else because it's just yeah. like, okay, now that everybody is down on the level of the black folks that you caricature, all, all right. of a sudden the black folks are now elevated and mm-hmm. the rest of you are relegated to being clowns. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, it's definitely yeah. a, um, an interesting visual choice. As a guy, I know I had made a Facebook post not too long ago about uh, trying to separate the art from the artist. Yes. But in this case, I really had to find out who the heck Ralph Bakshi was. Well, you know what? Because, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Because as, initially when I was a kid, you know, uh, Bakshi, I thought he was Japanese or something. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I got no idea what he was. And then by the end of this movie, I thought, you know, this guy has to be black because uh, he seems to have captured the black experience you know, well, yeah. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's using the, uh, using the N-word very liberally. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I certainly can't use that word. Um, and then as the, as the, I was pretty amazed to find out he was uh, actually white-skinned. Yep. But uh, but looking at his background, it's like he he, he grew up in a uh, it's like in a black neighborhood, went to an all black school. That's right. You know what was uh, interesting about some yeah. of the some of the praise that he got mm. uh, was from racists. Uh, okay, it's because they took the movie in the wrong way. He was getting invitations to join the Klan. Oh my God! Yeah, and there were some. He was saying that there were some Hollywood executives. That were just like, all right, yeah, good job. Like, because they thought he made an anti-black movie. Mm-hmm. He, this is okay. Here's, here's one of his quotes: "I didn't okay. make, I didn't make coonskin for idiots. They are very specific people that understand my films. Those are the guys that know satire. They're smart, free-thinking folks. And then there's this large group of people that don't know where the fuck I'm coming from. They always want to make a ruckus because they're embarrassed and they don't understand it." Those are the idiots. Yeah. And, um, and he's right. I mean, it, it does. I mean, stuff like this is is not palatable. And it's and it's a little unfortunate that, you know, because it says a lot about society that mm-hmm. uh, is so quick to reject satire. You yeah. know, especially... Um, and the reason why I think this, make, this film makes a lot of people uncomfortable is because they see themselves in it. Hmm. And that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you, Charles. Sure. Do you, do you know how Spike Lee feels about this movie? Um, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Because he took Tarantino to task right. for, uh, for his movies using the N-word quite a, quite a bit. Now, if I'm not mistaken, um, Quentin Tarantino kind of had the same sort of upbringing that... Um, that Ralph Bakshi had. I, he was, um, his mother uh, was um, with, uh, I, I don't know if they were married or like his stepfather or his, the, 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 the man that she was with that he knew in, in his life um, mm-hmm. was black. He says that, um, again, I might be mistaken about this, but um, the character Ordell Roby in, um, in Jackie Brown uh-huh. is allegedly based on his, the father figure in his life. Oh wow! So that kind of informed because he would hang out, we, you know, because there were black folks at the house, and you know he was around black folks all the time. So, I mean, look, I'm black. I come from a predominantly black family, <laughs> so I've been around black people all my life too. But I've also, <clears throat> I you know, but I've been all around all kinds of people. I mean, I grew up in um in the suburbs and in, in a town called Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Um, in the eighties, we moved there in nineteen eighty. And that was predominantly white. I grew up with um, with white folks. Like I was again, like oftentimes in my classes, of let me say it was a classroom of thirty kids. There were maybe two or three kids in the class were black. Maybe one was Asian, one was um, you know Indian, and that was mm-hmm. it. And everybody else was white. 
So when you live, when you are a in a minority in a situation like that, or when you are just when there's not a lot of people that look like you, and you're in culturally in in a completely different group of people, yeah, you do kind of you know it's not that you pick things up from them, but you understand those people, and especially if you I mean if you come from a place of animus, you'll find the worst in anybody, but. If you're around that group of people more often than not, then that gives you kind of a perspective or an outlook on those people. That's why, for example, I'm not threatened or offended by white supremacy or white supremacists because I know it's just nonsense. It's made up. I grew up around white people, and I never felt for a moment that any of them were more superior than I was. They were just like Mm -hmm. everybody else. Some... You know, there are a couple people that are... Uh, Chris Rock has a bit like this. There are some who are very few at the top, uh, a couple who are really, really dumb, and everybody else is just mediocre. And that's the truth. I mean, I, I wasn't um, impressed, or I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so intimidated, or oh my God, these, these white people are so much better than me. Didn't see it at all. Mm-hmm. So, but if you don't grow up in that, and you don't know it, you may say you never met a white person until you went to college, or you, you know, something like that, or you never grew up around white people so you don't know. You grew up in a predominantly black town your whole life, and your only experiences are if you're just having run-ins or seeing people at the store and stuff like that, or what you see on TV, which kind of colors everybody's vision, view, and interpretation of other cultures and stuff, if you don't have that experience. And, you know, that's going to inform what you think and what you know about certain people. And which is oftentimes unfortunate, you know, honestly. But, you know, that's life, isn't it? This is deep shit. This is deep <laughs> shit. It is. Um, so, um, you know, so again, this, this, this is, um, we can wrap this up, this, this chat about this film. Um, uh, okay. Except to, uh, to, just to tell people that, you, you, what do you think? Would you recommend this film? Would you ask people to see it? Uh, you know, something is like some people may not understand it and, uh, it's like, oh, it's like only if they get it, really. Uh, because uh, it's, ah, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of a tough question, Charles. Um, <laughs> it is, you know, it's like uh, the same way uh, Blazing Saddles is not for everyone. But you know, this... it's like you really have to be shall we say open-minded yeah. or, or uh, you, ha- you have to it's just like a, as, as, as Bakshi said in that quote you know it's like he, he's just made us for sp- specific people yeah. who would get this and it's like I don't think this is gonna be, <laughs> this is not for a general audience I'll tell you that um, <laughs> this, this makes Blazing Saddles look like um, Mary Poppins doesn't it yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, I think oh, Blazing yeah. Saddles is very kind of tongue in cheek and it's silly, and yes. it's and it's subversive in a very safe kind of way. Like Thank it's, you. It's always Thank just you. like, yes. haha! I'm just joking. You guys know I'm joking, right? You guys know I'm joking, right? You know, right? <laughs> you know, come on, we're having a good time. We're joking. We're joking. Whereas Coonskin is just like, this is what it is. Fuck you. You don't like it. And I like that attitude. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I mean, I could understand it. I mean, I, I, I could get with it. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, wow. Yeah, it's like we. Uh, I'll have to revisit this thing again and and <laughs> tell you. But uh, right now I'm kind of a. Uh, yeah, I say I'm. <laughs> you're, you're still. You're I'm speechless. Still, yeah, you're still trying to swallow it all because it's uh, yeah. it's yeah it's a it's it's not a movie for the weak hearted. Um, it's it's a movie where you have to know, especially this is not a movie that you should just go in unawares. Like it's, it's, it's like you know, if you just <laughs> see this in the store one day, like oh, I wonder what this is. You're, you're probably gonna get your ass kicked. Um, but this is definitely you know go into it knowing that you're gonna see some shit, and it may and yeah, like like you said, you'll either get it. You'll either get the joke, or you're gonna be so offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
tell the uh, listeners out there that this is also available on uh, archive.org. So if you would, if you if you would like to uh, to view it, but in a somewhat um, not so good copy, and there's like uh, Spanish subtitles in the bottom, but <laughs> but yeah, so I would check this out because I think this is uh, it's one of a kind, mm-hmm. really. And that's a lot of his work. It's yeah. <laughs> I think it's socially relevant, relevant as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, yeah, done, yeah. Um, I I would love to um, have a like a White House screening. <laughs> of this movie. And lock the doors. <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously, this is bullshit. Get me out of here. <laughs> this isn't funny. Crooked Hillary. This is Crooked Hillary's movie. <laughs> that would be funny. Or worse, he's going to take it the wrong way and actually like <laughs> and actually like it for all the wrong reasons. Finally, an honest movie. <laughs> an unapologetic look at what's wrong with America. I praise Bakshi. <laughs> He's got a place in my cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Secretary of the Interior, Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> I'm sure he would love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would actually do some good because he doesn't play. You know, for those of you who don't, who are, who want to acquaint yourself with Ralph Bakshi, there's a video of him speaking. Um, it was taken a, a little while ago, maybe like ten years ago. Um, it's, um, I think if you look up Ralph Bakshi, what you do in the hard times, um, it's about 10 minutes long, the clip. And he talks about, um, there's a guy in the audience asks him, you know, what if you want to make a movie, but you just don't have the money. Mm -hmm. And, um, he goes on like for 10 minutes or something like that about how, you know, you know, find a way to do it. Just get the money, get it together, and make a stupid picture. Does he picture. really talk like that? Yes, he does. Make a stupid picture. That's that's what he. That's it. I swear oh to you, God. that's what he sounds like. I swear to you, just watch it. That He's probably like a little New York, little deeper and grovelly voice. But yeah, he, I remember him just saying, that, "Make a stupid picture." <laughs> just get some friends. Wow. Get some friends together. Get your wife to work for a year and make a stupid picture. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he talks about how you know he didn't have the money, but he figured out how to make it work regardless. Wow. You know, and he says a lot of people that make excuses are just scared. This man never oh. made an excuse. Yeah, he's uh, he's fearless. Yep, I'll he's, tell you that he yeah. is, um, in my opinion, one of America's uh, most talented animators. He's he's one of the greatest animators this country has ever produced. Animator, storyteller. A humorist, satirist. Yeah, he's a brilliant. Yes, man. wow. You, you, you dug right. it. You dug it, but it was a it was a hard pill to swallow. But you dug it. <laughs> <laughs> you know something? As as I think I'm gonna come around and totally embrace this later on. <laughs> I get that. I get that feeling. You know, like I'm. I think I'm that kind of guy. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I've seen it a lot. So I, I you know, it's and and I've seen it since the 1980s. So I, you know. Oh man. So I've, you know, I've been around this movie for a very long time. So I, I totally get this. You, basically, the reaction I'm getting from you is exactly what I expected, because this okay. this movie does, it's it's an affront. <laughs> on, on, uh, on everything yes. that you know about storytelling, about what's proper, <laughs> you know, like this. I mean, this man, um, he he makes. I mean, this is a this is it's a spectacle. It, yeah. It's an yeah. absolute spectacle. And I think if you love movies and you love satire, especially, um, mm. this is this is a work of art. This is this is a masterpiece. I think this is probably one of his best if not his best films it is basically uh, a black exploitation version of song of the south and it is mm. wonderful all right yeah all right that was cool. episode one yes what'd you that think fun. how'd it go yeah that was fun awesome that was fun yeah awesome uh it's like i'm 
was like, I kind of froze up there sometimes, which I hope you edit out. Oh, I'm no, I'm keeping all that. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's really hard for me to like uh, look for words to uh, to express myself. So I apologize for that. So I guess next but, time you'll be taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm busty. I'm I'm a huge ball buster, as Mr. Zuletta will tell you. No, you go for it. You know? <laughs> it, it it's I'm the Ralph Bakshi of conversation. So I try not to take that shit personally. Yeah. Oh, by the way, do we? Do we get to curse in this uh, podcast or what? Um, yeah, yeah we've, we've, if you've noticed, we've been cursing, or at least I've been cursing. Oh, time. we have? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and well, we, yeah, the, plus the clips had a lot of curses. Yes, too, yes, so, and a lot of inappropriate yeah. language, so yes. Um, so those of you who reached to the end of this podcast, yes, there will be cursing. There will be uh, spoilers of movies that we've seen, and um, there will be other stuff that we'll talk about. Um, yeah. So, um, thank you. Yes. Thank, thank you, you for listening. Yeah, and thank you, Mr. Zulueta, for joining me for this thank show. Thank you, Mr. Conyers. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. That's it. And uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to the Cinepod Movie Cast, um, uh, the the movie podcast with a name that um, I'm still unsure about, but um, for now it'll do. <laughs> It might grow on us like coonskin will eventually grow on Mr. Zuleta. Uh. <laughs> okay, so f- thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode coming soon, uh, coming very soon, uh, probably after this one. So yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Charles Conyers. And I'm Jose Joel Zuleta. And uh, Signing off. We'll see you at the movies, as they used to say, on our favorite <laughs> show. We'll talk Save about the that. Seats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Later. Everybody's waiting for us back at the house, and he's anxious to see you.